What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jake Brainy, and it is Friday, April 5th. April, finally. You know, it f- felt like the winter months would never end. April is a great month, so I'm pretty pumped that we finally turned the calendar. Uh, you guys know I'm a big calendar turner kind of guy. My favorite calendar turn is actually April into May, so that's a fun one coming, but March into April is a really good one. Now, I had a fun March. A lot of things go on. Uh, got to see a couple cool shows. I uh, got to see Dane Cook, Brian Regan, some pretty funny guys. There were um, some like birthday events I got to see. Went to the Big East uh, tournament, the semifinals. That was a lot of fun. That's always good. Those games are great. Uh, one game went overtime. Another game had like 10 technical fouls. So that was awesome. Um did a dueling pianos bar in Hoboken. That was really cool. Got to, uh, that's, I mean, that's something that that's a new thing for me, but I love doing events like that. Uh, it was a really cool thing. You follow this, you know, these, these two people, I forget what their like group was called or whatever, but they are like, have like a residency or whatever you want to call it at this bar on Saturday nights. And instead of having a set list, you pay for them to play your songs which is genius way to make extra cash because they just had a set list. They don't make any money, but instead they're like, here, give us 20 bucks and we'll play whatever song. And if you hate that song we're playing, give us 21 bucks and we'll turn it off. And, uh, Oh, we'll write something on the board for five bucks. And if you want us to write something else, uh, give us six bucks or seven bucks. So I had a lot of fun with that. Wasted some good money, but you know what? It was, it was all in fun. I, I gave them like 25 bucks for them to play either, Stacy's mom or live in La Vida Loca. My friends loved it. Uh, and the, and actually the piano players couldn't decide. So they let everyone vote on it. Shockingly, Stacy's mom got the overwhelming vote and, uh, it was great. Had a lot of fun with that. And then we played some jokes on our friends, uh, professing love from one to another, congratulating one with another job, had a lot of fun with that. And then of course, uh, the phrase of the night, I had them right. Chris Heine loves the Browns. So shout out Chris, the newest Cleveland Browns fan. We welcome you. Um, so yeah, so March was a big one. Even had a baptism last week. Tried a couple new pizza places. Uh, <laughs> uh, went to Atlantic City. Lost uh, some money there during the tournament. But that was really cool to actually go to Atlantic City and spend the day watching basketball. Because usually I'm just watching on my desk. And then of course some big movies. Uh, Captain Marvel to finish the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, before Avengers Endgame comes out later in April. And uh, and then I saw Us by Jordan Peele, which is absolutely terrific. Uh, and I'll do that review in just a second. But before I do that review, you know, with all that being said of March, I have a lot of fun things going on in April. And uh, some, you know, there are some big movie releases. There are some shows coming out. There are some uh, things like in my personal life that are going to be a lot of fun. So some really exciting things. And that's what I want to do for my top five this week. So I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to jump right in to this week's top five. And this top five is going to be dedicated to the month of April. What are my favorite things coming out or happening this April? All right, so anything starting from April 1st to April 
30th, right? 30 days after April, June. Yeah. So uh, anything from the 1st to the 30th. Now, it's a big sports month. A lot of entertainment comes out this year. There's also some other things going on, too. So uh, we will see. Now, starting off with number five, the Masters Nap. Now, I don't love golf. You guys know I stink at golfing. Uh, last couple times I've done top golf, though, I did all right. But that's top golf. That's not like golfing. Uh, do I watch golf all that much? No, but... The Masters, I get into. I can get into golf, you know, a couple days a year. So I watch the Masters, and there is nothing quite like that Sunday afternoon nap, where the you know bottom half of the of the grouping is finishing, and uh, you know I was gonna say Tiger, but whoever's in the lead, the last couple groupings are just getting kicked off. It's a great time to nap and wake back up by like hole number nine, so that you catch the back nine. Love the Masters naps. I think it's a super underrated. It's the best nap of the year by far. I mean, it's right up there with like the Thanksgiving nap. So love the Masters nap and is definitely my number five. Um, number four, going to go with the Tribe home opener. Last week I spoke briefly on the Indians, briefly on baseball. Uh, just got to love the fact that baseball's back because you like having sports every day. Something to get into, even though like, you know, hey, you lose a game. It's not the end of the world. You win. You know, it's always fun to win games. So uh, I like having baseball back. And to be honest, the Indians have been very good the last few years. While they make some head scratching decisions and they can frustrate the hell out of you sometimes, you get to hang your hand on the fact that you have some of the best pitchers in the world on the Indians. And last night was a perfect example because Trevor Bauer and the Indians bullpen, because he threw 117 pitches, took a no-hitter into the ninth inning where they gave up a couple bloop singles and, and still held on for the win. But still, I feel like that won't be the last time we're flirting with a no-hitter this year. And uh, I, I think Trevor Bauer is going to have a big, big season, possibly Cy Young-type stuff. So yeah, so Indians home opener, that's my number four because it leads to just a whole summer of good stuff. Number three, this is where it gets really tight, okay? I've got some really good stuff in my top three. Now, there are a lot of things coming out. There are a lot of other sports going on. You know, I love to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, NBA playoffs when the Cavs are in it, I love. WrestleMania. Was a fan of WrestleMania at one point. <laughs> um, Twilight Zone is returning, but... We all know the big show that is returning is Game of Thrones. Now, in the past, I would have figured this would be my number one. But the way that season seven ended, and I've been critical of it in the past. I thought it was a little too a little too fanfare, a little too pandering. Gave a little bit too much to the super fans who want things to go this and that way. Now, maybe that was always going to happen and we just had to bite the bullet, but one of my favorite things about Game of Thrones is the fact that every time you get attached to a character and they flirt with death, they're going to die. But I felt like every person last year, whether it was Jon Snow and his group of men going above the wall, or whether it was Jamie Lannister and Bronn, uh, fighting a fucking dragon and Daenerys on the field of fire, or it was the grouping that went down and faced off with Cersei uh, in in King's Landing. 
it just seemed like there were so many things where someone could have died, and yet the only deaths were Baelish and Viserion, the dragon. So I just felt like it, last season was too safe, and no one's ever safe in Game of Thrones, and now they're going to have to have a lot of death in the last season, which is fine, but some of these deaths are going to be so unceremonious. Like, they could have killed off a couple guys last year, and it would have been dramatic and heartfelt. Instead, like, Bran of Tarth is going to die, and we're just going to have to roll right past it because we don't have time to focus on Bran of Tarth's death. Or, you know, Tormund. Or, I mean, like, a half a dozen other people that are going to die this year. But with all of that being said, as a book reader, as a big-time watcher of the show... I'm ecstatic for it to return. It's been way too long. It's almost been, it, it has been too long. So it's time to get it back. Get my Sunday night show back. All right. Number two. Everyone knows where my top two are going to be. So this is, you know, I'm, I'm not surprising. It's all about the, it's all about the draft for me this time of year. But surprisingly, that's my number two. It's not my number one. Now, the reasoning is Browns are going to have a first round pick. Browns are getting better so that the draft isn't as important as it's been in the past. Now, I know the draft is still an important part of any team, but the Browns used to be 100% dependent upon the draft. Now, it's like, can the Browns add some players that can push them from the expected to compete for the first uh, for first in the division to, hey, this player's really going to help them win the division. It's a crazy spot the Browns are in right now, and as much as I love the draft, I'm going to get into the draft later in this episode, it's just not my number one this time time of year, this year. Uh, I love the draft, and hopefully I'll get back to the draft again if they bring it to Canton or Cleveland. If they bring it back, I'd love for them to bring it back to Philly or New York, but uh, for, you know, for this year, the 2019 Apple draft, it is not my number one. My number one is Avengers Endgame. It is, they've done such an amazing job marketing ever since Infinity War last year. And they do a great job of showing you exactly what they want you to see in trailers. I love trailers. And every time they leak something, you think they might be leaking too much. No. We all know they doctor their trailers. Which is fine. I'm okay with doctoring trailers. Like, it's a trailer is not meant to spoil anything for you. It's meant to hype up the movie. And that's exactly what they do. And I don't want them to give stuff away. They say that apparently all the trailer footage is in the first 15 to 20 minutes of the actual movie. That is good to know because I don't want to know exactly what's going to be happening in this movie. It sounds like there's a lot of possibilities. A lot of people think they're leaking things like time travel and shit like that. But you know what? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Every time we think we know what's going to happen, Marvel only lets us know what what they want us to know. But that is the thing I'm most looking forward to in April. Um, shout out to other things like Shazam and WrestleMania coming and uh, Twilight Zone coming out. The NBA playoffs, which I would be interested if the Cavs are in it, but instead they're not. So I'm just going to have to wait till May when the lottery comes. And of course the Stanley Cup playoffs, possibly the best playoff period. Um, I mean... There's the Final Four, which is going to be this weekend in April. But to be honest, outside of the opening round and the, you know, the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, 
once it gets down to the final four, I'm really not that interested unless my team is competing for a national championship. And since my favorite college basketball team is the Princeton Tigers, that's not really going to happen. So, you know, just I just take the final four for what it is. Late basketball games that I never stay up for the whole one on Monday night because I hate that they do it on Monday night. I hate they do the college football game on Monday night too. But regardless, um, that is what I'm excited for in April. Uh, there is a lot of fun things to do. Uh, what are you guys up to? What are you guys excited for this month? What is your favorite thing about April? Maybe some of you love to watch the Masters. That's the thing you love the most. Maybe Game of Thrones is your number one. You know, you have it above Avengers because you know, and, and I used to. But I just look at the Avengers as the way they've been hyping it up, and it's the culmination of 21 movies. This year, it's special. So let me know what you think, because this leads me to my next big announcement, and that's I will not be watching the first round of the NFL Draft Live for the first time since I started caring uh, in, in 2003. And this is big news. Uh you know, it's, it's funny. I was telling this to my girlfriend. She's like, okay. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like, we've only started dating the weekend after the draft. So last year, my girlfriend and I went on our first date, like April 27th or whatever, like right after the NFL draft. So she didn't get that version of Jake, the one that like gets super into the NFL draft. That's my thing. But this year, there are multiple reasons why I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to watch it because we're going to Avengers on opening night. Number one, as I was walking into Infinity War last year, someone spoiled the movie for me. And part of it I was furious about because I avoided it on Twitter like it was the plague. I didn't talk to any of my friends that I knew were seeing it or were going to see it. I just like basically just blocked them out. And said, okay, even though it's like the Tuesday after the release. So basically, it's not even a week old yet. And I'm walking into the theaters. I did everything right. And then these fucking kids start talking. And they're like, yeah, no. And they talked about the dusting and people dying. And I'm like, I can't believe it. I fucking made it this goddamn close. And these kids ruined it for me. So what am I doing? I'm taking that out of the equation. And I'm seeing it at 6 o'clock. On the Thursday, April 25th. I am not giving fate a chance to ruin this for me. Okay, the only people that can ruin it for me would be people that saw special screenings or that movie earlier on Thursday, which I doubt is going to happen because I'm pretty sure 6 o'clock is the earliest show on Thursday. The 11 a.m.s and the 2 o'clock in the afternoons, that won't be until Friday. So unless these people see a special screening of the movie in which case, I don't think they'll be watching the movie at the Monmouth Mall. I think I'm going to be okay. Um, that was my first reason, is that I didn't want to get this spoiled because I have been ready for this movie. The next one is, you know what? The Browns don't have their first-round pick. I was just saying before, if they had a first-round pick and if this pick mattered a whole lot, I'd be, I'd be into it. You know, If this was the Baker Mayfield draft, I would have to watch. I can't miss that happening. Um, if they had the number one pick and they, they took a Miles Garrett again, that's another thing I would want to see. I want and and I know a lot of you know. There's a big Bill Burr joke, and I love Bill Burr, and he makes fun of people that watch the draft because he's like, you know, it's going to be in the paper tomorrow. I know, I, like, I know it's just going to happen, and the results will be there. But you could say that about any sports event. Be like, oh, why are you staying up to watch the national championship? You'll just find out in the morning. Like, 
you know, to me, it's exciting to find out who, like, which team is drafting. I want to see the instant reactions of of the of the dummies of the people that think they know everything, and I want to. I want to see the crowd's reaction. I want to see the guy's reaction. I want to see it all. I don't want to just read about it and hear what happened. I want to see everything and, and experience it live. So that's one of the reasons I love it so much. But when my team is less involved, it, it's you know it takes a little bit out for me. I'm not going to lie. Similar to what, you know, I'm not going to care about the NBA playoffs without the Cavs. And you know what? The Browns, they've built their core. The most exciting thing about the Browns now are Sundays. Not the NFL draft, and I'm really happy about that. And uh, I'm really excited for Sundays this season because I think they're going to be a good team. I'm going to make sure I get my ass to a couple Browns games. I can't wait for the schedule to drop. Hopefully by the next by the next podcast we'll have that schedule drop. Because uh, then I'm going to go to the time they play at the Jets, and I'm going to try to get out to Cleveland for two games, and who knows, possibly get another game in there. Maybe when they think they come out to new england i don't know how i'm gonna make that happen but it'd be really cool to catch them a couple times this year maybe i'll maybe i'll see him in baltimore who knows anyway so yeah that's why that's why i'm seeing avengers opening night my girlfriend and i are gonna go see that it'll be super awesome i'm really excited it's my number one thing this april okay so got those tickets it was a bit of a mad rush had to go to the mall i couldn't order them online even though like you know I'm dependent upon the ordering online, but Fandango was just crashing, so I had to go get them in person. I should have bought more and like sold them, but I was like, you know what, just get the ticker tickets you have, tickets you need, and go from there. Um, the other thing I'm excited for, obviously, is the NFL Draft. I'll get to my offensive player rankings at the end of this podcast, but then, of course, Game of Thrones, and I want to review the first seven seasons next week's episode on what new segment I'm calling Night's Watch Party, all right? And I'll try to have a guest on every week to talk Game of Thrones, previewing next week's episode and possibly reviewing the previous episode. Uh, Next week's episode will be the first preview, and uh, we'll preview the Season 8 season. Uh, I'll have a special guest on, not going to announce who it is just yet, but you've had him or her on the podcast before a Game of Thrones expert. So uh, excited to do that because it, it is just like one of the top three greatest shows ever. Uh, I think it's the best show of all time and excited for that to come back. So join us next week on Night's Watch Party, one of my new segments that I'm very, very excited about. So, um, And of course, the other thing that happened this week was OBJ was introduced on April 1st. It was not an April Fool's joke. It was real. He put on the orange hat. They gave him his color rush jersey. And then they also showed Baker Mayfield mock-ups for the jerseys that they'll be changing to next year. Which was very, very significant. Because A, why would they show Baker Mayfield unless they had some really good idea? D Haslam already said that we're sticking to simple and she believes the fans are going to love it which means it's likely going to be some type of throwback or the color rush or a combination of the both because that's what everyone on twitter loves and if they say they think the fans are going to love it it means they're not trying anything new they're not doing anything splash they're not doing what the jets did and doing these like we are marshall jerseys mixed with north texas mixed with like the rough riders like nothing crazy here 
Browns are keeping it simple. I'm I'm betting they go to the late 80s style jerseys, but like modernize it a little bit. And then they have the color rush just in case they want to. So, um, But it looked like Baker Mayfield really liked the uniforms when he was looking at them. And then, of course, they gave Odell an, an, a color rush jersey. They didn't give him the current Browns jerseys because they are so done with those Browns jerseys. They're like, all right, we're going to keep the color rush around, uh, which are kind of like Halloween-y type jerseys, but everyone likes those. So uh, good to know. And Odell in the press conference, they had Freddie Kitchens on beforehand, and then they had Miles Garrett, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, and Baker Mayfield lined up next to each other. Some people didn't like that. Um, the old farts at Fox Sports 1, they did not like the fact that it was four players talking together, which has to be the dumbest, oldest thing I've ever heard, that they're like, oh, letting the inmates run the asylum. Like, wow. Like, you know, when Bob McNair said that, you know, when he was alive, owning the Texans, he was labeled a racist. But Doug Gottlieb says it, and it's just Fox Sports. You know, there are going to be a lot of people wrong about this Browns team that are just waiting for the dysfunction to happen. And to be honest, guys, I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's going to be dysfunctional because I think Baker Mayfield is the type of leader that people flock to and that people want to be around. And Odell Beckham, you know, he in, in his press conference, he did sound hesitant when he got traded. Like he didn't, he didn't want to be traded. That's the one thing I could tell from that press conference is he didn't want to be traded, but if there was any team he was going to be traded to, he's going to a head coach that already loves him and wants to get him the ball and wants to make him happy and wants him to score touchdowns. He's going to his wide receiver, best friend, college best buddy, high school buddy that like, I mean, it's that's they're going to be the new dynamic duo in Cleveland or as Baker said it, which I can't wait for this to catch on the dangerous duo. Oh, which, which is like, it makes Browns fans rock hard to hear that. So the dangerous duo, he's got his wide receivers coach and Adam Henry. So, and, and then of course he's got Baker Mayfield throwing him the ball. It'll be the most accurate quarterback he's had in his entire career. So Odell's in the perfect situation. Plus he has plenty of other receivers on the team that are going to draw the defense away from him. And then when he's drawing the defense away from them, it'll be easy yards and easy touchdowns for the Browns. He's a competitive guy. He wants to win. I think this is a good formula for making Odell Beckham Jr. happy. And from his press conference, I can tell he's a guy that wants to win. Is he a little hot-headed? Sure. Uh, is he passionate? Yes. Uh, I've been critical of him in the past, for sure. Absolutely. But I'm giving him every opportunity to win me over here in Cleveland because I'm a big fan of his game. I think, you know what, if he is as passionate as everyone says and not a distraction, and which doesn't sound like he's a distraction because none of his players that he left the Giants are complaining. You know, they're like, they're bummed that he's gone. They're not like saying, oh, good riddance. They're like, damn, you know, we lost Odell, you know, best wishes, man. Like, they, they didn't want him gone. Maybe Eli did, but, I mean... Dave Gettleman wants to build around Eli. That's one thing. So, anyway, that's just uh, that's just a little bit on the Odell presser. Uh, I'm not going to go quote by quote. I'm just going to say liked what what they brought, liked what everyone saw. It was a good day. It's been a good first couple days of April. 
for Cleveland sports fans. Um, all right. What else going on? This past week, saw a movie. It was a Netflix original that I'm going to do for my one-minute movie review. And it's called The Dirt. And it's the true story based on the book about Motley Crue. One-minute movie review starting now. So, The Dirt. Unbelievable. I mean, not a good movie, certainly at all. <laughs> but, like, very enjoyable. Uh, first of all, Machine Gun Kelly, do a pretty good job acting. Uh, give it up to him, because in Bird Box, he was pretty good. And I thought he was pretty good in this, too. So, for singers turned actors, he's done a really good job. So, good good job, Machine Gun Kelly, who's going by Colson Baker in Hollywood now. Um, Look, it seems like they really hype themselves up based on their parties, but... These sounded pretty real. Now, the authenticity of it, I was pretty pumped about. I liked that they kind of broke the fourth wall a good amount to tell you what was going on. And like, hey, this didn't actually happen. But this is how we saw it happen. I like that. I like that they kind of keep you in the loop of what's going on. Was the acting great? Mm, no, it was fine. Uh, was the storyline crazy? Yes. And you know what? After watching, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody get hyped up so goddamn much, I thought, was it that much better than this movie? And my answer was, if you take the music out, which, you know, it wasn't original music, the music was already written, so how was the movies? If you, like, if you take the music out, Bohemian Rhapsody isn't better than this movie. And that's just, I mean, it's, an, it's a testament to both the dirt being like an average movie, and Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, also being an average movie. But it got pumped up because the songs were so great, and and Rami Malek had the best acting of the year. So I, I thought The Dirt was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I suggest anyone go see it. I wouldn't see it with your parents. A lot of drug use, a lot of nudity, a lot of like actual sex. Uh, if this was what their life was truly like, it is pretty insane. And uh, I think, to be honest, the credits alone were better than the first 90 minutes of Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, the, the like the three minutes of credits, they show actual things that Motley Crue did and how they portrayed it in the movie. And their portrayals were spot on. They had the run-in with... Uh, um, Ozzy Osbourne, they had the run-in with uh, Van Halen, and any uh, and and any like mischief going on in hotels where they had pictures and videos from, they nailed it. They did it like shot for shot, and the fact that they had Motley Crue helping them film everything made me that much happier that they had like the hands-on experience of all of this. Like you had Brian May do that certainly for Bohemian Rhapsody. But, you know, that Brian May telling them how, you know, Freddie Mercury felt is, is not, it's not the right approach. But Nikki Six telling them how Nikki Six felt and Tommy Lee telling them how Tommy Lee felt, that was all pretty cool stuff. And if you've got an hour and a half and you want to watch a movie about a pretty fucking crazy band in the 80s, I think it's worth your time. 
Uh, I give it the Jaker seal of approval, and it is so far my movie of the year, which is insane. But that's going to change in about five minutes because I'm doubling up on the OMMRs this week. This week, I'm also doing a one-minute movie review for Us. I saw Us. All right. Starting that review right now. I saw Us last night. Wow. Very good movie. Um, I put it right slightly ahead of Get Out. Now, I thought Get Out was great. I thought this was also great. Slightly greater. Um, it is a straight-up horror movie. Like, that's true. It is not like a suspense movie. It is all about scaring you and chilling you. And it's it's hard to, like... I don't want to spoil this because it just came out. And I have people that want to see it. But I will say... It is one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. Uh, we set the over-under on Jake Jumps in the seats at four and a half, and I stopped counting at six and a half. Uh, I count halves because there was one where I felt like I jumped, but I didn't think anyone could see me jump. But I still counted it because I was like, yeah, I, I jumped. They got me. I mean, it's just I, I when I'm in the movies, I get so like enthralled by what I'm seeing. So I, I really just want to like just get into it as, as good as I can. And I, n I never try and figure out what's happening in the movie. I'm just like, just take it for what it is. Just take the movie as it comes. And this one was great. Um, great twist at the end. The, uh, the villains were scary as shit because they just made you feel like that, like they were soulless and scary. And like, all they wanted to do was take your place. And I, I feel like, that is fucking scary on its own. Um, Lupina Nyong'o is right up there for the best actress in the world. What she did in this movie, she playing two different characters. One, scaring you shitless and making you feel like you are helpless and and like frightened is was incredible. Just by her playing... Red was the was the other character's name was just insane, and then when she played Adelaide, the you know person that lived that you know the the protagonist, she, you know you you felt scared, but her her tears, her intensity, it, it was all phenomenal, and I thought it was just great acting by her in what was a really great movie by Jordan Peele. I, it's unbelievable what Jordan Peele's been able to do. And really find this niche for himself of being a horror movie guy. And I'm now so excited to see uh, The Twilight Zone, which he's now hosting. Because if he's got his hand in that, ah, man, I, I he's got to be great. It's going to be good. And I, I can't wait. Because I've got great Black Mirror slash Twilight Zone ideas. Uh, I would love to write up some of those because I've... Notes on notes on notes of those, but excited to try that out because Us was fantastic. Two thumbs up. I gave it a 90, I want to say 94. I want to give, I want to give it a 94 because there were some inconsistencies. I didn't love the fact that I was like, well, you know, without, without giving anything away, I had questions about the clothing and where they get all the supplies, and where they get all these things that they were just given, you know, like, 
where do they have that? And then what was the goal of all of this? It, it just seemed like I was missing a little bit of information. And I don't, I know you don't want all information in those scary movies, but sometimes I like, you know, to have the answers. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy that when I leave these movies, I have a thousand questions. I'm definitely going to see this again. It is a very watchable movie. It's a great horror film. Uh, if you like getting scared, I'll go with you because I am excited to see it again. It was very good. And I'm going to need to because I have questions that I think need answering. And I think knowing the twist at the end and knowing how everything changed in your point of view, like, I want to go back and see it that way. So, Us, very good movie. My new number one movie of the year, just passing The Dirt, which just passed Captain Marvel. So, uh, had some pretty good ones in 2019 so far. Those are my top three. But I have a feeling the next time I go to the movies, it'll be passed up by Avengers Endgame. Uh, anyway, okay, so that's it. That's it for my movie reviews. Uh, was thinking about doing a trailer review, but I'm just going to do a trailer discussion. The Joker is coming out, and this one is starting Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, it's a standalone Joker project. This has nothing to do with Suicide Squad, nothing to do with Jared Leto's Joker, which uh, you know. Every, a lot of people had a lot to complain about where he was like a punk in that. Um, I thought this one looks okay. I think Joaquin Phoenix is going to do a really good job as the Joker, but this, you know, is, is obviously not going to be like a superhero movie. It's an origin tale with like a mix of a like drama. It, it, it seems like it, it, like a Joaquin Phoenix style drama and he's probably going to do a really great job with it. And I think I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to want to see it. It's just, uh, it, you know, you, you have a hard time not comparing Jokers to Heath Ledger. And unfortunately, that's just always going to happen. But I think if Joaquin Phoenix does his own thing and takes his whole, whole new spin on it, I think it would be very good. And uh, I think it's worth watching. So uh, I, I don't know when that comes out. I want to say it's October. But the trailer is out. Go check it out uh, online and uh, see, see what you think about the Joker and what your interest level is because this is its standalone project. So this isn't going to have a lot to do with the other DC comic movies that are coming out. You know, you got Wonder Woman is developing more stuff. You got Shazam is coming out. Aquaman 2 is going to be in a couple years, but they're working on that. DC is trying to build themselves something because they're so far behind what Marvel is bringing that um, this could really help them at least. Okay, so um, this season's coming to an end. You know, with uh, the NFL draft episode, uh, the NFL draft preview, which will also be my Avengers preview, uh, will be the first episode of season three of the Jake. And in that, I'm going to have new theme music. I'm going to have a more stylistic rundown of things. And going to have, it's going to be less of what's on my mind and more so of a planned out attack of each episode. So I want to know from you guys, what do you think I should incorporate into season three of the Jake? Please comment. Let me know what you're thinking. Just, uh, you know, post it so that other people can see and then we can get a conversation going about what I should be doing on the podcast. Should I be doing more, you know, 
live things? Should I be doing more uh, sports-related things? Less sports-related things? More pop culture? More interviews? Less interviews? What do you guys want to hear on the Jake Moore? Uh, I have a feeling it can't be more NFL draft coverage because <laughs> that's everyone's favorite. No, I'm kidding. Um, I will be getting to that in just a second, though. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I want to know from you guys what else I should be doing on the Jake podcast. Only a couple weeks left in season two. Okay, so next week's episode, which will be April 11th, 12th, uh, that'll be my final episode of the season, and that'll be my Night's Watch Party Game of Thrones preview. That'll be a lot of fun. But before I let you guys go, this episode, I want to do, last week I did my top five of each defensive player in the 2019 draft. This week, I'm doing my top five offensive players in the NFL draft for 2019, okay? So, without further ado, I'll just jump right into it. All right, we'll go position by position, and I'll try to get this done quick. Quarterbacks, all right? I feel like this is a two and a big drop, right? Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, and then a big drop. I think Murray, is he's got a great arm. He can throw on the run. He can evade pressure. If you just forget about his size for one second, he is a franchise quarterback. And if you consider the fact that Baker Mayfield is undersized and doesn't have nearly the running athleticism that Kyler Murray does, you got to consider that. Russell Wilson, if you protect Kyler Murray and if you give him an offense that he can excel in, he is a franchise quarterback. I think... Slotting him in to where the quarterbacks were from 2018, I would have him behind Baker, Rosen, Allen, and and maybe Darnold. I'm I I I'd probably have him right around Darnold, um, and, but I would have him ahead of Lamar Jackson because I think he's maybe slightly less of a runner than Lamar Jackson is, but he's a much better thrower. Um. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, I would have, uh, um, that's tough too. I think I would have both of them ahead of Darnold. It's close. I think I would have, uh, no, I would have Haskins as less than these guys. Yeah, I would have the five from last year ahead of Haskins and Murray. But um, Haskins, I think, you know, the only thing that's really weighing him down right now is the fact that he only has one year um, of production. Uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky didn't let that affect him too much, but he has a rocket arm. He hits all levels of the defense. He's got mobility in the pocket. I'm not going to go Stephen A and say he's a running quarterback. He is not, but he moves around the pocket really well, and he keeps the ball up and delivers strikes. He's definitely franchise quarterback material. I think for both Murray and... I think Murray playing right away is the deal. I think Haskins doesn't hurt to sit. Haskins' best situation would be going to Phillip Rivers, going to Big Ben, Eli Manning, somewhere where you can see that this quarterback is going to be done in a year or so. I think Eli Manning's really the best spot for him, where if he goes to the Giants and he's playing by the end of this season, uh, and then... I mean, who knows? Maybe the Giants fall ass backwards into a franchise quarterback uh, after passing on 
four of them last year, they might find themselves with Dwayne Haskins. I'd be surprised if Haskins doesn't get acquired in a trade-up. Uh, you know, the, the Cincinnati Bengals, Miami Dolphins, New York Giants, even the Oakland Raiders, I think, should be thinking about Haskins, assuming Murray goes first overall to the Cardinals, which seems like a done deal at this point. But uh, after those two, my third one is really tough. I mean, I have Drew Locke there, but it's it, he's so inconsistent and he's so inaccurate and under pressure he's just so bad that it just seems like a crime to have him as number three because I don't want him in the first round. So I think I'm going to put Daniel Jones as my number three quarterback in this draft. He's very blah, very, very plain, but he does throw a pretty good rainbow ball. And does have a lot of characteristics that you're like, you know what? I could see Flacco. I could see him being Flacco. He has, he doesn't throw a strike, as but he does throw the ball deep, and he has some deep ball accuracy that I, I, I think I, I like that. Um, like, and I shouldn't say he doesn't have strikes. He throws the ball really well. I just think it, the best part of his game is the deep ball. Um, but again, are you really going to sell the farm for Daniel Jones, a guy that at Duke was just like, you know, he was all right. Um, it it seems like he'd be best on a team that's already built to win and kind of carry them around. I think he would do well in a, you know, Sean McVay type offense where they, he just is asked to do the same thing over and over again. And, um, you know, maybe just do quick passes, kind of like a Jared Goff style. I could see him being a Jared Goff, but maybe a little less accurate. I have him somewhere in that range of quarterback of less than Goff, more than Tannehill Dalton. Okay, so maybe that makes him, you know, top spot for Daniel Jones. If everything works out, he's a 16th to 20th best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, hard to get excited about that, especially when Haskins and Murray are types of guys that if everything works out, they could be franchise QBs, whereas Daniel Jones just seems like a starter. So Daniel Jones third. I guess I'll have Drew Locke. No, I'm dropping Drew Locke to fifth. I, 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 I just don't like his inconsistency, and I'd rather just roll the dice with Will Greer, a guy who is, seems like a roll-the-dice kind of guy. Um... I know he's a little small and, like, really isn't... I mean, he's, like, thin, too. That's the other thing. So, you know, not, not only is he short, but he's, like, you know, f like, not frail, but frail for a quarterback. Like, Baker Mayfield's short, but he's, like, sturdy. And Baker Mayfield has strength, whereas Will Greer doesn't really have strength. Uh, Greer could fire the ball. Not always the most accurate, but, I, I mean, I, I kind of like his game, though. He seems like he's got some just great technique and uh, can throw when he's running and just throw all, all over the place. And I kind of like his style where if he's sitting for a year or two, maybe that's his best bet. Um, again, the really the only quarterback in this draft I like starting right away is Kyler Murray. I think Haskins could use a little bit of mentorship so that he starts by the end of the season. I like Jones to be a eventual starter, uh, and then I think Locke and Greer 
are kind of like de- de- developmental guys. Well, that's my top five. Uh, my favorite quarterback in this draft is, uh, yeah, I, I mean it's it's Kyler Murray. He's 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 my favorite quarterback in this draft. I I, I want to say Haskins, but what Murray can do is he can be a franchise like changer. Haskins. Can he be your franchise quarterback? Yes, absolutely. But there's something about Murray is special. I haven't seen special from Haskins yet. Uh, I I do see starter in the NFL, and I wish him a lot of luck. But um, Murray has some specialness to him. Um, first off the board is definitely going to be Murray. He's going to be the first overall quarterback. And uh, my favorite sleeper, I'm going with Gardner Minshew from Washington State. Uh, I'm selfish. I want the Browns to get him. I don't know how it's going to happen because they don't have enough picks to just be picking third-string quarterbacks in the fifth, sixth round. But if he found his way to Cleveland and he was backing up Baker, he's got those leadership qualities you look for that just really help any quarterback room. And I love his game. Uh, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback at all. But um, he seems like a big game kind of guy. And I love big game quarterbacks. Um, he always knows where he is on the field and like what's going on and, and just seems like the smartest guy on the field at all times. It's just that his arm doesn't always agree with his brain. Um, maybe he can become a starter one day in the NFL, but I think his best bet is smart, backup, reliable quarterback. Chase Daniel type. So uh, he's my favorite sleeper. Okay, moving on to running back. Guys, going to make this really quick. This is Josh Jacobs and a lot of backup running backs. Very much like the QB class, not all that great, especially with last year's QB class having the five guys of the first round and then the running backs being super deep last year. You had the Georgia Bulldogs. You had Saquon Barkley. You had Darius Geis. It seemed like there were running backs popping up Everywhere in last year's draft. This year, seems like Josh Jacobs and a bunch of backups, okay? Not going to go into it too much because I really don't think, honestly, I wouldn't draft Josh Jacobs until late 20s into the 30s. And then I wouldn't draft any other running back until like round three. And unless you really need one, just don't. Because this draft class, there's there's not a lot of special here. And, uh... And if you're going to be drafting a running back, it's got to be a special type of player, like a game-changing type of player, because there's too many of them coming out every year, and there's too many of them available at all times, and the running back position is easy enough that it's like, as long as you're not getting a dummy and a guy that fumbles or a guy that's really slow, you should be all right. Build the protection, build the line, and the running back will follow after that. So Josh Higgs was my number one. He's getting a lot of Camara hype right now, which I find really interesting. Um, you know, Camara was a Bama running back before transferring to Tennessee, uh, but but like Josh Jacobs doesn't have the runaway type speed, so I don't really like that comparison. So I don't really know what comparison I'm giving him. I will say I think he's one of the better Alabama running backs to be coming out. He doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him, even though he does have the ACL injury. 
Um, but I think behind a really good offensive line, he has good like vision. He has good like finding of the hole, and I think if you use him right, he is going to be a decent starting running back in the NFL. Uh, after him, though, I like Devin Singletary, I think he's got like the Duke Johnson juice to him. Uh, I think you know in t- today's NFL, that's a really good thing. So I would have him as the number two. Uh, number three is Daryl Henderson from Memphis. Uh, just from like the tape. I, I like his game a lot. I think, um, it, like him again, another guy that you want him playing behind the line. You don't want him like outrunning everything. Um, but you know what? He's he's also got like a small game to him. To me, he's just a runner. I wouldn't really have him in the passing game all that much, uh, which is fine. But like, you know, you want to have guys like he can do the screen passes, but it's like that's not his game. And then it, you don't want him pass blocking either um so i don't really know if i want him in on passing downs and if you're gonna be drafting a backup running back that's kind of what you want so it's tough to have him there but i think i'm gonna have damian harris as my number three running back just because he was at bama he was very reliable running back and i think if you stuck him on a lot of teams he would do a decent job okay so um i would have him as my three my number four would be miles sanders from penn state Guy didn't get talked about, you know, because of what Saquon left and Penn State, you know, they had a bit of a down year because every time they had a big game, they they fell flat on their face. But Miles Sanders, nice little running back, didn't get enough credit because he was backing up Saquon very much like, uh, you know, Booby Miles backup uh, in, in Friday Night Lights, a guy that's like, hmm, you know what, this guy, not all that bad. Nothing great to his game, but... Finds the hole, changes direction. You know what? He can be a fun running back. He's not always going to be, he's definitely not a number one type guy. But you know what? If you're looking for a running back in third, fourth round, who you want backing up, say like a Le'Veon Bell, where you just need a guy that's going to change it up a little bit when he comes in, you could do worse than Miles Sanders. And uh, my fifth one, I'll go David Montgomery from uh, Iowa State. He's just a load and somewhat hard to bring down, and uh, I, I I like his game a lot. So, uh, and and you know what? Something about drafting a cyclone. Gotta love the cyclones. Uh, first running back coming off the board has got to be Josh Jacobs. Uh, I I would have a hard time believing it's anyone else. Uh, my favorite running back in this draft, I think it's David Montgomery. Again, I don't really like this draft for running backs though. I would really not draft one because I think it's it's be everyone's being pushed up a little bit because it's it's just not that great. You don't need to draft running backs. You can find them anywhere. Uh but I do like Montgomery's game. Uh I feel like he would do great in like a like if he was on Tennessee's offense, I think he'd do really well. Uh who knows? I, I I I just don't like this class all that much. But my favorite sleeper is Dexter Williams uh, from Notre Dame. If he stays healthy and he stays out of trouble, this guy can be a decent backup. Uh, they didn't use him in the passing game, but that's just Notre Dame's offense. I think he can help in the passing game, not to the extent of like a Duke Johnson, but I mean... I think I think if you limit his game and make him a backup running back, 
I think Dexter Williams, for a guy that's going to go in the seventh round, definitely worth it. All right, moving on. I spent way too much time talking about running backs when I don't like him this year. Tight ends. Number one is TJ Hawkinson from Iowa. Number two is Noah Fant from Iowa. Pretty cool that you're going to have two first-round tight ends from the same school, especially two years after George Kittle came out. Uh, now, you, you know, it's, it's – and Kittle is breaking down everything you think you know about tight ends because it's like, oh, what about production? George Kittle on no production college. Now he's one of the most productive tight ends in NFL history two years in. It's crazy. Uh, Hawkinson is a beast. He is a bully. And he is an extra offensive lineman. Not to mention, he's got very good uh, feet. He's got very good hands. And he's just a really polished player right now for a guy that's like coming out early. He's super young. Um, I mean, I, I think it's... Everyone wants to say Gronk because he's a tough guy and he's white. and But you know what? He's going to be able to go to any team and be very good. I, I, you know what, I think he's a top 15 guy for me, and I wouldn't blame anyone for taking him in the top 10 if you use him right, alright, my number two tight end is Noah Fant, uh, I think better version of Evan Ingram, uh, he is a little bit more athletic than him, and you know what, he, he just, he has a very good understanding of like the passing game. I think he runs like a wide receiver almost. It's it's just crazy. So uh I see him almost as like a limitless ceiling type for Noah Fant. And uh you know someone's gonna take him in the teens to the early twenties. I think that's where he belongs in this draft. Again he's not gonna be a big time run blocker. That's why I have Hawkinson ahead of him, even though he has the athleticism to kind of uh, beat out everyone else in this draft. Uh, number three tight end. This is where it gets a little tricky because after the two Iowa guys, it's a great tight end class. However, I can't discern the third best. Like Irv Smith, I want to put him there, but I feel like he's getting the Alabama bump and I'm not entirely certain I like that. I think I'm being like hood hoodwinked um, because the athleticism and the numbers aren't exactly there for a guy that, like, it should be there. He's supposed to be a mismatch problem, and he's not really a mismatch. Same goes for Jay Sternberger uh, from Texas A&M. I don't know. To me, I, I love his running game. I love uh, when he has the ball in his hands. I think he's another good mid-round tight end that if you want him to be your backup tight end, he's a very good receiving tight end. I put him right behind Irv Smith Jr., and uh, I think, you know what, I think I'm going to bump this guy up to my number three tight end. I was hesitant to do it, but Dawson Knox from Ole Miss, I love his game. And I think, you know what, he was like the fifth or sixth option on Ole Miss's offense. I think once he gets a, like, you know, a different offense, he goes to a team where he's asked to do less, he's going to be very reliable and I'm excited because I think he just didn't get enough opportunities with Metcalf, Lodge, and Brown at receiver there. You know, like, when are you going to pass to the tight end when you have those three guys on the outside? So, I like Dawson Knox. 
I think he's right in, in, in that like middle tier of tight ends of like after Fanton and Hawkinson, if you can get a Irv Smith or Dawson Knox or Sternberger or Josh Oliver um, or Foster Moreau or Isaac Nauta, there are a lot of tight ends in this draft where you're like, you found your number tight number two tight end. Um, and some of these guys have the chance to become number one tight ends. I just wouldn't depend on that happening unless it's one of the two Iowa guys. First off, the board has to be Hawkinson. Um, my favorite sleeper of the tight end class. Uh, it's tough. I, I, I don't know if Foster Moreau counts as a sleeper. I'll say Foster Moreau is my favorite tight end in this class. He, I think, is a lot like Kittle of, you know what? He's a big beast and a bully, and he wasn't asked to do a lot in the passing game, but you can tell it's there. And I think if he goes to a team where they ask him to do a little bit more, he can take that on. Um, and, and, you know, he's like a he, he's not going to be the guy to catch the ball and run away from you. But you know what? I think that's only the thing because we we haven't seen him do it yet. I think he has a very high ceiling. Um so I'm just going to say he's my favorite, but my favorite sleeper is Isaac Nauta. People completely disregarded him because of his bad numbers at the combine. When all I saw was he's falling and everyone's ignoring his great tape. That guy didn't run like he ran like when he has the ball he doesn't look like a guy that ran a 4.9 and a 4.8 at his pro day and combine. You know, he looked like a guy that was, like, running away from people. So I have a hard time believing he's one of the slowest tight ends in the NFL if he's if he's running a 4.8.5 or a 4.9 or whatever. So that's why he's my favorite sleeper is because, like, he has good hands. He has good run-after-the-catch ability. He was running away from SEC defenders. So I don't know why his numbers came in so low. He's my favorite sleeper. All right, moving on. I'm going to do wide receivers last because it's so in-depth. going to jump over to tackles. All right. Um, my number one tackle is Andre Dillard. He's super athletic, and I think he's a franchise left tackle. Uh, if the I mean, look. I don't want to help out the Giants, but if the Giants got Haskins at 7, they should definitely take Dillard at 17 if he's there. Uh, he is a franchise left tackle. He's done a lot in the passing game, which is good because you want passing left tackles coming out of college. And uh, he went to Washington State. That's where you're going in the NFL. He is very strong, and he's only getting stronger he is a position switch guy. He was, what, like a quarterback in high school or something. Something dumb like that. Um, but, I mean, he he's everything you want in a tackle because he's so fluid and so athletic. And his pass protection is really nice. Uh, I, I love Dillard. I think he's a, a franchise left tackle. Uh, my number two tackle is, uh, I'll say Jawan Taylor. Even though it seems like he's best fit at right tackle, he seems like the perfect right tackle. Uh, there's just not much about that. I mean, people will say, you know, oh, why didn't play left tackle? It's like, well, Florida had their left tackle in Ivy. So, like, they weren't going to change that. So, even though Taylor is playing right tackle, it doesn't mean he can't play left tackle. Um, but he should be starting right away. Uh, I, I think he's uh, another good pass blocker. And you know what? 
he's just got NFL written all over him. I think he goes middle of the first round and gets nodded as a right tackle starter from day one. Okay, my number three offensive uh, offensive tackle is Dalton Reisner. Love his mean streak. This guy, this guy's like an all Jake team type player. Like he is a mauler. He is a badass. He is a like a and he is a motherfucker. Um, I love his violence in his hands, and I love his game altogether. I think he's my favorite offensive lineman this year. Um, he'll be old. Uh, he had a uh, like a maybe it was an elbow injury, maybe it was a shoulder injury, so he had like surgery on that. If everything checks out, though, this guy is going to be a very good NFL offensive lineman. Hopefully, still at left tackle. I think he can still do that. Um, I have him going around the end of the first, probably first five or six picks of the second round is where he ends up, but um. Like he, his game is what's great. Not his body, not his like you know. He doesn't have the the arms that you would want, but he has the game you want. And there's something you can't teach about his nastiness. Uh, my number four offensive lineman is Jonah Williams. He's fallen a bit, but you know what? He's gonna be able to slide in and play wherever you want. He's that annoying guy that's like that's just that's the write up this year on Jonah Williams is. He'll do whatever you want him to do. He'll slide in at, at guard or tackle four of the five offensive line spots. And if you ask him to play center, I bet he'd do that too. Um, and then my fifth one is y- Yadni Kajust from West Virginia. Guy's got, like, the ceiling is the limit for him. He can be very, very good and because uh, he's new to football. I think he started playing at the, like, end of high school. So, um I, I I would like to see him continue to uh, to get like good offensive line coaching. Uh, I know you're going to draft him and want him to play right away, but maybe not for him. I, I would say the four guys ahead of him I would want playing right away. Maybe not Yadney. Um, first offensive lineman I think is going to be Jawan Taylor. I think it should be Dillard, but Taylor has that like set and that body of like an NFL road grader and the pass blocking game from an SEC school it's going to be hard to turn him down I, I bet he goes top 10 uh, the best one though is Dillard that's just my mind uh, my favorite offensive lineman I just said it, Dalton Reiser might be my favorite player in the draft uh, he's just the mauler the motherfucker of the draft That that's my guy and then uh, my favorite sleeper, a couple good sleepers in this one. Uh, I like Tyler Romer. He has he's the typical red flag kind of guy, um, where he got kicked off his team. But if you could figure that out and vet him, he's got size. You know, he's six seven. He's a little over three hundred, so he's you know he's not carrying too much weight there. Um, and, and I think he needs to kind of, like, reform his style and his skills. But this is a guy you're going to be taking in, like, the seventh round. So if you can take him in the sixth or the seventh round and coach him up and make sure he's vetted and ready to go, he, you know, he looks the part. And I think uh, I think that goes into it a little bit. 
So I want to see him be competitive. I want to see him get his shit together and uh, have him back up as an offensive tackle. And who knows, maybe get a starter one day. Okay. Um, interior offensive linemen. We're going to do guards and centers here. Uh, number one is Cody Ford, Oklahoma. Uh, one of many Oklahoma's offensive linemen this year. Ford will just line up right away. Immediate starter. Probably the only immediate starter of the interior offensive lineman. Maybe our number two guy starts immediately. Possibly three. But, um, you know, Cody Ford is one of those where maybe he's not Zach Martin or Quentin Nelson. He's not those two. But in terms of guards starting right away, he's going to be a very good guard right away. Uh, nothing wrong with his game. It's it's a pretty flawless game. I love Cody Ford. I think he's he's very good, and he's pro- possibly my all all Jake team as well. Um, very athletic, very strong. Uh, as long as he just you know stays healthy, because he has another like he had a leg injury or something. So stay on the field. He is a big dude, and there's no one he can't move. Number two is Garrett Bradbury. Uh, first center on the list from NC State. Another one, just consistent, nothing too special to his game. Very Jeff Saturday. He's the captain on the field. Gotta love a center who kind of takes control of what was a very good uh, NC State offense last year. So I like Bradbury's game, and uh, I think he's going to, you know, depend if he he could go if in the first round in the mid twenties and be a starter right away. Uh, there are a lot of teams that could use an off interior offensive line help. Uh, I, I bet Bradbury goes 20 to 25. Next up is Chris Lindstrom, uh, from Boss College. Another, I don't think he starts right away. I think he's going to be one of those guys that has to compete for it. Um, but you know what? He did a really good job in kind of the, like he did a lot, a lot of different things at Boston College. They did a lot of running, but he also got to show off his passing on a lot of things. So, um, I I just like his game. I think he does everything right, and his form and sets are really good. Uh, he's a guy I would want on my line if I was an offensive line coach because there's really not much to coach there. He has strength. He's got decent speed for an inside guy, and he just knows what to do on the right thing every time. It's whether or not he can do it against the elite defensive linemen. And, you know, it's hard to say if we'll see that until he plays against them. Um, the next couple are tough. I, uh, I don't really know how to rank these guys. So I'll go with Eric McCoy from A&M as my fourth. It's a tough one. Then I might go uh, Bo Benchwazel. I don't know, but that fifth spot, I might just give it up to um, to Alex Bars. I think that's what I'm going to do because you know what? So I'm, I'm going to give it to Alex Bars because I think when Bars is healthy, he is the guy. Um, you know, he's this year's Notre Dame offensive lineman. He's not nearly as good as Zach Martin or or Quentin Nelson coming out, but he has the right game. He's a smart guy. He didn't get many opportunities because he was always behind these future NFL Pro Bowlers. 
And unfortunately, he tore his ACL-MCL last year and missed a lot of the season and will probably be coming back from that this summer. Uh, So I think that's going to really kill his draft stock, which sucks. But regardless, Alex Bars. Um, My favorite offensive lineman from this group uh, is Cody Ford. He just doesn't do anything wrong. Uh, The number one guy I think might actually be Bradbury. I think... Um, McCoy, uh, Ford and Bradbury and Lindstrom will all be mid to late first, and I think Bradbury will just go to the team that, like, you know, there's going to be a team that's like, hey, you know what? Let's get a new center. Let's start an anchor on our offensive line. I like it. And Cody Ford might slip to a playoff team. And I think good for him because he'd go right in and help a Houston Texans offensive line that could really use him. Um, and then my favorite sleeper is obviously Bars. Uh, I think he's going to go sixth round, and if you can be patient with him and give him the chance to fight his way back, you might find an, a starting offensive lineman in like the sixth round, and uh, that, that's awesome. All right, wide receivers going to be a tough one to do. I love this wide receiver class. Okay, I I think there are twenty guys that I would like if the Browns drafted. Now, with that being said, I wouldn't want any of them in the first round because none of them are are polished, clean prospects that have it all done. Maybe my number one guy. But there are way too many questions about some of these guys at the top. All right, My number one guy is Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, which not a lot of people have him at number one. But you look at the way he makes ridiculous catches. Every time you throw in the ball, he's like Spider-Man out there and that he and will go and get it with one hand, with two hands, on the ground, up in the air. His catch radius is awesome. I love that game part of, about him. And he always seems like he can turn a five-yard out into a 40-yard play. And a lot of people thought speed was going to be his problem, and he ran pretty well at the NFL draft or Combine. So... I don't really know where the flaws are in Nikhil Harry's game, and I don't understand why he's not getting talked about more in the first round, even though there I mean, I understand why you wouldn't take a wide receiver in the first round, but I don't understand why he's not getting talked about as the first. Uh, Because the number two, and I really don't want to put him at number two, but it's just I can't put him any lower, is DK Metcalf. If he can stay on the field, and if he can figure out some of his lateral agility, this guy has Calvin Johnson-esque like, like game to him. He looks like a defensive end out there. It's going to be impossible to cover him. If he gets a step on you, it's a touchdown. The only thing is, there are so many parts to his game that he hasn't even touched yet. And as you saw, he was basically an offensive lineman in the three-cone drill. So that's a problem if you want change of direction type guys because you're going to get physical cornerbacks who are not going to be afraid of him and he's not going to be able to get away from them. And all of a sudden, your number one wide receiver who you took with the 7th, 8th, ninth overall pick can't get open. And you can't just lob it up to DK Metcalf because I think the type of cornerbacks that press him are also going to be the types that he can't win jump balls over. Now... If you throw a great jump ball, he's 6'3", 225, and he's got a great vert, he can come down with it. But 
Is that the type of offense you want? If you're going to be taking a wide receiver in round one, you just want a red zone target? Might as well get J-Jaws. Get him in the second or third round. Anyway, Metcalf's my number two receiver. Harry's my number one. Number three, I think we're going Debo, Debo Samuel from South Carolina. Uh, just a polished game. Not the biggest guy, but he's pretty sturdy. He's going to be one of those big slots, just like A.J. Brown. Um, but I, I just really like his game. I think he doesn't do anything wrong. And another one that doesn't look that fast, but he doesn't get caught from behind. And I think he is a very good game. Number four. Uh, right? Four? Yeah. Uh, I think we know Marquise Brown. The guy is a mismatch, and he is a game-breaker. It's too bad he's injured right now because he'd be showing off. Uh, I think if if he was fully healthy, I'd probably have him as top two, maybe just third overall. But for the injury, for a guy that's only 160 pounds, uh, I got to take that injury seriously. So he is my number four receiver, even though he is the biggest game-breaker of the wide receivers. Uh, my number five receiver, I'm going with A.J. Brown. The guy just has polished game. He's going to be another big slot. He is very good. He is very experienced. He's got that um, like veteran-ness to his game, even though he's already uh, he's a rookie. And I think you can plop him onto a lot of teams, and he'll be improving their passing game immediately, which... The other guys after them, I can't really say it, even though I, I love a lot of these guys' games. Uh, I think Kelvin Harmon is a very good, solid, polished receiver that would be a very good number two on some teams. I think Hakeem Butler is 6'6", 225. If he can figure out and refine his game, he can be a number one. But right now, I have him as probably the third best receiver on most of the teams he goes to, and you're not going to play him in the slot. You're going to play him on the boundary. So it's uh, it's going to be tough if if he doesn't refine his game more because he has to worry about getting open. Uh, he has some pretty ridiculous catches, but again, you know, contested catches in the Big Twelve isn't all that impressive. Uh, even though I really love Hakeem Butler's game as well as Harmon. Uh, spoke about JJ Arcega Whiteside. He's getting super undervalued right now. Saw today someone compared him to Jordy Nelson, and it makes a lot of sense. So I don't know why I'm hating on him a lot. Um, the Ohio State guys, Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin, were flying at the combine. McLaurin runs some devastating routes, and then Campbell is going to run by anybody. Riley Ridley's got it in the blood, but then again, there's nothing special about his game, and he didn't really have a whole lot of production at UGA, who did share the ball a lot. But it makes me wonder, you know, if you're supposed to be this, like, you know, top-notch recruit, why aren't you getting the ball more? Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting. I mean, and then, of course, there's that, like, next tier of guys. They're going to go in the third round. That's why. How many guys have I mentioned? I'm only in third round. I love Emmanuel Hall's game. He seems like a passionate veteran type of player. Uh, I know he, I think he lost his father or something recently and played through it. And he was like a, a leader of that Missouri team. So I like that part to his game. And of course, the Cleveland kid, Andy Isabella, 
people are going to compare him to Wes Welker or Julian Edelman. He can fly past those motherfuckers. He burned Denzel Ward in high school. This guy might be the fastest guy in the NFL the moment he steps onto the field. Now, he's 190. Can he separate? Because that was one of his problems is he can't get away from corners that are pressing him, that are up in his grill. Once he does get away, though, he was polished and he was bringing it against Boston College and Georgia. A guy that just played his best when the game was on the line against his best opponents. Um, which is why, you know, he's one of my favorite receivers in this draft. I, I have him, Harry, and and I guess Hakeem Butler are my three favorites. It's hard to pick just one when there's so many receivers in the draft. Um, the number one will probably be Metcalf. I think he goes first because somebody's just going to say, I can't pass on him for someone else. I can't watch this guy go to my division rival, and I think they're going to say it. Um, I would put Baltimore as his lowest possible landing spot, but I think he goes top 10. I think there's a chance Detroit takes him at 8. Buffalo at 9. Maybe Miami. Maybe Washington. I can see him landing in one of those, that run of like 8 to 14, 15. And uh, my favorites, I told you. Love Butler's game. I hope he can figure that out. Harry, I think, is going to be a stud in the NFL. I really like A.J. Brown. I love Marquise Brown. But Andy Isabella is my guy. He's a Cleveland kid. He wants to go to the Browns. Browns aren't going to draft him. They don't need him wide receivers. But so I love. And then my uh, my sleeper is Preston Williams uh, from Colorado State. Uh, him and Jazz Ferguson from Northwestern State. I'll give you two. They were at bigger schools, got into a little bit of trouble, but if you're going to be taking a risk on a athletic freak who used to went to a good, good school, you got to go wide receiver. I think Ferguson is was at Northwestern State, but I think he was at Tennessee. Um, or no, that was Preston Williams was at Tennessee. Ferguson was at maybe LSU or Oh, no, Florida State, maybe. I forget which schools these guys got kicked out of. Regardless, big receivers that have freakish abilities, those are easier to teach. It's easier to teach wide receiver than it is some of these other positions in the NFL. Because, um, again, you use them sparingly. You use them when you want to. So I think uh, I think those guys as the sleepers, watch out for them. They could be contributing day one, even though they're going in round six or seven. And then you're wondering, why the hell did I draft a receiver in round two when I could have gotten one of these guys in round six and spend a round two pick on an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman where there's not that many. So anyway, that's my rundown this week. I thought I was going to get under an hour. I did not. Uh, What are you going to do? Next week, a lot of fun things. Game of Thrones is coming back. Uh, I'll have my final rundown of the NFL draft. Wow, this was a long one. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you later.